GCP Life would like to acknowledge Queen Elizabeth II and the lifetime of work that she has given to Australia and the Commonwealth. Welcome to GCP Life, episode number 23, for the 16th of September, 2022. GCP Life is sponsored by Kazna. At Kazna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. And I'm your host, Stephen Bancroft. And on today's show, uh-oh, Google's in serious trouble. We take a look at what's new in vSphere 8. Why is the Australian government meddling with our clouds? We have plenty of security-related news. And what is going on with Ethereum? But before we get to any of that, I'll introduce the co-host of the show, Dave Wall. How are you going, Dave? I'm doing awesome, mate. I'm very, very excited for this podcast today. We've got a, a bumper show. <laughs> it is a bumper show. That's right, yeah. we. Uh, it always starts out, you know, at the, the beginning of the fortnight, like after the last show. There's always a bit of a lull, maybe yeah. a day or two. Yeah, and we- then we get together on the Tuesday and we go, oh, well, we've got to put in the show. We don't have a lot. No. And then, and then as we have to have on, faith. It, uh, yes, <laughs> it just ends up being more and more and more and more. And then we're discluding articles after a little while. Yeah. Also helpful that you know there's a few uh, conferences and announcements, like big announcements that sort of happen and get a nice glut. <laughs> there is, yeah. There's, 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 there's quite a few things going on at the moment, but we'll get to all of that. Um, but uh, I just want to say at the top of the show, I um, I set my PCA exam on Monday. Yay! And I passed. Yay! <laughs> yeah, I, I tell you what, insert um, a little clapping. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me do it. <laughs> um, I tell you what, I walked out of that exam, exam and uh, my mind was fried. I was just fried after that. Really was. It was. It's. It's a grueling two hours, and I used a. Really, I cut it close to the wire and used quite a lot of the time just to go through the first round of questions. Uh, I probably had about, I don't know, seven or eight. I went back and reviewed. Um, didn't really change my answer on any of those and then quickly went back and just reviewed the rest of them. I, only, I probably had, after doing all that, probably only three or four minutes left on the on the timer. With, with the review, mm. How often do you find that you ever actually go back and change an answer? I have. I have. Mm. Yeah, it has happened. I find, like, I will review things, especially things I'm not sure of, but usually by the time I come around, because I'm sort of hoping that maybe a further question will, you know, unlodge a little bit of knowledge in my brain. When I come back to that thing, I'm like, nah, I still don't know. We'll just- (laughs) We'll Well, go with that one. It's either either a straight up guess. You go, I, I really don't know. And I'm just- sort of guesstimating the, the best answer um, or yeah as, as you say something will dislodge in your brain and you go hang on a minute yeah that's that's this and and then you really know it mm. so I can go either way but I have changed answers um, and then you get to I, that uh, you submit don't the- know if it helped don't know if it helped or not. I've never failed one so <laughs> must have, you get must that, have done that, that moment right at the end when you hit submit and then the screen comes up and it's just in tiny little text. Pass. That's a horrifying moment. It's just the worst feeling. <laughs> okay, please click submit. It's got the text that says, you are submitting your exam. You will not be able to review any questions. That's bigger yeah. than the results. <laughs> like, come on, guys. Let's make it like size 14 text. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. 
so everyone in the room can read it. That'd be great. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, uh, there was a question on the exam that I'd not covered in my study, but it was something we covered on the show. Uh, so there you go. Uh, it was in relation to uh, views on the on the table in BigQuery, how you can set permissions uh, on columns and only let particular IAM principles see certain columns. Which is relatively new. Which is relatively new, and we talked about it on the show. Um, knew the answer because of that. So, um, yeah, I uh, was really, really stoked to see that come on. Hey, hang on a minute. This, it has to be this one. I remember t- discussing this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, I'm, uh, I was glad to hear that uh, IoT Core was not covered in the exam. <laughs> yeah, there, there was really wasn't any IoT Core questions, um, which is which is quite apt, yeah, up to date there. It's good considering you can't really study it anymore, so it's no, good that they're not no. asking questions. But straight out of the gate, uh, there was probably 10 or 12 uh, case study questions. They put them all up front. Um, e, the EHR Medical and Mount Kirk is where they really focused the questioning on. I think it's um, good that the the case studies for the PCA are available. Like anybody now can go, you can read them in advance. You know, you can have had a thought about them. You can have some ideas about you know, what the, the sort of key uh, requirements are going to be and challenges. It's it's good that that doesn't just get dumped on you at the time. Oh, yeah, that'd be difficult because some of the, you know, the case studies are written in a way that they would come from a layman, right? Or they'd come from a, someone that's got a business perspective. And you have to interpret that into what's actually going to transpire in, yeah. in terms of technical sense. And it's not immediately obvious. No, and of course, <laughs> like in, in the real world, if you got something that was a little bit uh, nebulous, you could go back and ask follow-up questions. <laughs> Absolutely, you could, yeah. Um, you can't do that what in do you mean by this? No, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, look- you know, the, the, I I felt I learned stuff during the process, and there was new stuff in there for me. So, um, yeah, it was good. I felt happy with the process and um, came out a winner in the end. So I'm really happy with the result for me. That's good. You're gonna get a bit more swag coming your way. I got a bit more swag. I got a. Oh, by the way, oh, that uh, there's a sticker. Oh, nice. And there's a uh, cloud uh, certified cloud security engineer. Messenger bag. Oh, nice looking bag. I'm still waiting. Uh, I think my, my developer hoodie is on its way, and I got an email saying that my DevOps hoodie, they're not doing them anymore. So, no, uh, I've got the same one. So, so I'm just I'm holding go. off. There was nothing there that I wanted. So, I'll wait and see if they update the products. Yes, exactly. I have exactly the same issue. So, we'll see what happens. But you can make a donation as well. So, um, you know, once I've got all the swag, I think that's probably what I'll end up doing. Hmm. Um, so Dave, what's, uh, you're, you're the, uh, you're, you're the standing crypto guy on the show. What's going on? With, <laughs> what, That's what is going unfortunate on with position to be in. <laughs> There's a, in uh, the lesser of the, two the idiots. The world's going to explode. <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> um, yeah. So today in, uh, well, so hopefully by the time everyone hears this tomorrow, this, the merge will have happened, hopefully successfully. Um, but it's been something that's been a long time coming. This is the the transition for Ethereum from proof of work, 
which is where people have graphics cards and miners and all the sort of infrastructure that goes hashing to keep the Ethereum network secure. And we're transitioning away from that to proof of stake, mm-hmm. which you can't get me to explain <laughs> particularly <laughs> well. Um, but the, the, the basically net result of it is anyone who's, who has been mining, um, it, it goes in a couple of hours from now. You can't do it anymore. <laughs> me and quite a few other people mm-hmm. I know have either shut their rigs down or they are transitioning across to whatever they think is going to be next. I think it's going to be kind of chaotic for a while. I'm uh, I'm not really backing any horse to uh, to fill that get that gap. Um, I think it's going to be all over the place for a while because so much hash power was running Ethereum. Like, mm. the, the next closest uh, crypto isn't even a tenth of the amount. So that compute's going to spread all over the place and profitability's going to go also all over the place. So Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got um, some of my friends are uh, kind of taking bets and they're like, oh, well, I'm going to go mine this because I think this is going to be the next big thing. I'm, right. I'm like a so there are still proof of work oh, tokens there to is be heaps, mined. Yeah, yeah so, right. Um, in fact, an interesting one, uh, or I think it is interesting, is that a lot of people are going to uh, Ethereum Classic, um, which that, well, depending on your opinion, that could be considered the original Ethereum. Um, Ethereum way back in the day had a big exploit called the the DAO hack. What happened with that hack is it was so sort of catastrophic um, that they opted to actually hard fork the Ethereum chain and uh, and kind of give a lot of people their Ethereum back and. Uh-huh. Um, but the Ethereum Classic chain, they opted to not do that. And that still continues that to this day. That still continues. Uh-huh. Um, and it's had, you know, its fair share of problems over the years because it was a significantly smaller network. It was kind of an easy target for uh, 51% attacks. So a 51% attack can be done by basically pointing more hash power at the network than everybody else combined. And then you can do double spent attacks. You can sort of dictate uh, what happens. Um, so you own 51% of the network effectively. 51% of yeah. the hash rate. So you, you could rate, do that yeah, yeah, by yeah. like buying hash rate. You didn't have to build out your own farm. You could buy hash rate through like nice hash or a few other services Yeah, and, and point it at what you wanted to do. So, mm. um, but now with Ethereum, as a, you know, going to be shedding all this hash power. It's going to go. Some of it's going to be switched off, but a lot of it will be moved onto other projects. Moved onto other. Yep. 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 So my understanding, uh, Ethereum was switching to proof of stake. Now that is where you you stake, you put up uh, already Ethereum that you currently own. Correct. In order to prove. Your what are you proving? You're proving that you, you're you're a contributor to the network. Yeah, so contributor to the hash. They the network is secured by validators. Uh, validator, and, that's yeah. the term I was looking for. Yeah, and uh, to be a validator, you need to have a, a whole lot, a whole lot of Ethereum, right. Um, right? And that's your stake, right? So if of all the validators out there, all of a sudden one of them is acting untoward. 
then they're putting their own um, Ethereum uh, at risk. At risk. Right. Understood. So yeah. it's right. it's it's keeping you secure by the the punishment of of you doing for doing the wrong thing is is <laughs> significant. Right. Okay. So so not unlike you know taking a mortgage out with fiat currency in a way. I guess you you stake your financial future on that mm-hmm. and. You know, I mean, you could always declare bankruptcy, I guess, but you, that, it's you know, you, you're putting you're putting some sort of um, something of meaning into it to to say that you're putting you're, your money where your mouth is. You're putting your money where your mouth is. Thank yeah. you. That's what I was looking for. Um, and and indeed, for like for people who were were mining and getting like a bit of income from that, you will be able to stake your Ethereum into like staking pools, and you'll get a a percentage. Uh, basically, an annual percent return um, for doing ah, that as well. So. Oh, like an investment, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's not yeah. something that I've actually looked into too much on my own. Um, that you had to like in the yeah you know, sort of pr- before today, you kind of had to lock up your Ethereum for like an unknown date. <laughs> so I wasn't yeah. really keen on that. Not desirable, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's interesting times. Right. This has been on the cards for many years. Six years or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think like 2017 was the original first date it was supposed to happen, so. Yeah. All right, well, I'll be keeping my eye on that. In about two hours' time, we'll we'll see what happens. I guess uh, the YouTube will blow up with videos about it and we'll, <laughs> we'll know exactly what's going yeah. on. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, so just before we get on to the news items, uh, I noted during the week that there will be a new region in Cape Town. South in the south of Africa. Nice. I I think that'll be the first African region. I believe so. Yeah. Um. Doesn't open until twenty twenty three. That's just around uh, the corner now. Where twenty twenty two is. I can see the end is, in sight. Is almost a memory. That's right. <laughs> All right. Let's get on with the news. So, Dave, looks like uh, VMware have updated vSphere. Yeah, they had a big conference at the uh, tail end of August there. So, a lot of new updates. We've got, um, I might just uh, come through now. This is obviously not just a, not really a purely kind of Google topic, but um, as, you know, our listeners will know that we've been doing a lot with VMware engines. So, we do keep across the... uh, Sort of updates in uh, in vSphere give us an idea of you know what be coming down the line as the VMware engine service gets updated as well. Um, but there was a few things which really kind of stuck out to me in the new version of vSphere. Um, the first one that I, that really kind of piqued my interest is they're now supporting uh, what are data processing units or DPUs. So I don't know, Banky, have you heard of a smart NICs before? I've heard of smart NICs, yes. Yeah. yeah, so there are these uh, these smart NICs, and you can now get these uh, commercially um, for, for your own data centers. There's uh, NVIDIA has, I think it's got the Bluefield uh, DPU, and it's basically a, a NIC with a, a SOC on board. Um, what's really cool with these um, is that vSphere now, if you've got a... Uh, a bunch of ESXi hosts that do have these smart NICs on board or these DPUs, um, it's able to deploy a, I guess, I guess kind of a cut down version of ESX direct 
onto the smart NIC itself. So you're going to have a host that has ESX running on it that has a smart NIC inside, which also has a version of ESX on it. And uh, it will load onto that kind of little dedicated um, SOC all of like the NSX network services. So offloads that from the, the x86 CPU that's actually running your workloads, shifts all the networking stuff down into the DPU itself. Right. Um, In much the same way a graphics processor offloads all the graphics calculations. Yeah, correct. Um, But I guess because uh, the way like sort of NSX works, it has various appliances and things as well, um, being able to actually shift those workloads um, straight into there, like distributed firewall and a few other things. Um, Mm -hmm. I just think that's really cool. So it's not coming all the way into the CPU and then all the way back out. That can all just happen in in the NIC. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, And so as part of it, uh, it also... If you're like updating the host, um, it will update the version of ESX that's in the smart NIC, like in lockstep, to keep them uh, keep them compliant. So I thought that's very cool. Um, right. From my understanding, uh, the hyperscalers actually use smart NICs in like their kind of. Uh, I'm, I'm not actually sure if Google does it in Compute Engine, but I think that both Azure and uh, Amazon do that with their like sort of like EC2. Uh, services, yep. so, yep. but they have their own particular versions of these. Um, I can remember um, back in my day, <laughs> we had uh, SSL offloader cards. So uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, a math code processor uh, that you would you would slot into a Sun system, and it and then there were some drivers to load, and it would that would be the SSL library, mm-hmm. and it was a piece of ASIC hardware that would do the encryption and decryption for you if you had a lot of traffic going through. So, Right, same this, sort of thing. Same sort of thing. On the so gamer imagine, side, I remember PhysX cards. PhysX cards, yeah. <laughs> if that's all built in to, to NVIDIA GPUs now, right? Yeah. Same idea. Yeah. Exactly that. Um, so anyway, that's that's pretty funky, and that's, uh, that's in vSphere 8 now, which is very cool, um, which is the, what do they call it? The distributed services engine, I think. Very fancy. Um, other cool things. Ah, we can skip over all the Tanzu stuff because you know if we're using VMware Engine, we, we might as well use GKE because it's right there. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but you no, know, they have. I'm being, being facetious a little bit there, but they have done a lot of <laughs> updates to Tanzu. Um, if you are using that on prem, then you definitely should uh, should check it out. Um, there's a couple of nice things from a like a host lifecycle management um, side of things. So, so you can stage patches on multiple hosts at once. Um, there's also there's now uh, if you're updating your clusters, the ability to nominate like how many hosts would be updated at a time. The way it used to be it was always just one. Um, so you would, you know, you, it would put a host into maintenance mode, it would patch that host, it would get finished, it would come up and then it would roll its way through your cluster. Um, but you know, if you've got a significantly large cluster, then that remediation time might take a while. Um, so there is now actually an option where you can nominate and say like, actually you can do two or three at a time, obviously depending on how much capacity you've got in your cluster. Uh, and I don't know how, and this would be worth thinking about, how that would work with vSAN. Because when you put a vSAN host in a maintenance mode, it evacuates all the data. So hmm. 
that'd be interesting. Anyway, um, so anyway, that that's cool. Um, there's also uh, some pretty cool stuff with if you have ever had to restore your vCenter from a backup. Uh, so some of the cluster state is now actually going to be distributed amongst all the hosts. So if you restore it from a backup, uh, it will then uh, get some updated state since the last backup by just querying a distributed key value store that's across all the ESX hosts. Ah, that's nice. So you can restore any host and you've got your full, you should have your state available to you. Yeah. Well, it's more yeah. if, you, if you bring vCenter back itself. Right. Um, I suppose this might help prevent um, if it's been a while since your last backup and you bring it up and a lot of changes have happened. Yeah. Where um, it might get a little bit confused with what's the state of the clusters. Uh, there's a few other interesting things. If you've got like AI or ML hardware accelerators, you can create some. Uh, device groups and there's uh some things that sort of help make them a little bit more manageable um there's a new version of vm hardware which wouldn't really surprise anyone so we're up to version 20 now <laughs> um which you know i know that there's certainly plenty of companies out there that still have vms with like vm hardware version 4 so no. yeah. <laughs> think about updating people <laughs> get some mm. extra features um there's a cool thing if you happen to uh, deploy Windows 11 on your virtual machines. Uh, I suppose more if you're probably using a uh, like Horizon virtual desktops, because um, you may know that you know Windows 11 does require you to have a TPM. And yes. Uh, oh yes, I've, I've discovered this in my most recent desktop upgrade. <laughs> yes, uh, so you have to have a TPM. It certainly, I know, it stopped me from updating a couple of my older laptops. <laughs> because yeah. um, their ones are not compliant. Um, but if you have a virtual TPM and then you clone the server, you'd be cloning the TPM, which would clone the secrets. Um, so now there's a, a new uh, feature in there where when you uh, clone a, a Windows 11 machine, you can determine whether or not the TPM should be copied or replaced, and it can give you a new one. Nice, yeah, um, yeah. Which is cool. Uh, there's also, and this is really funky. Um, there's a thing for really tweaking the performance of your latency-sensitive uh, workloads. Now, you you may be aware, you may not, but if you're having CPU bottlenecking problems with a VM, some people's initial instinct is, I'll just throw more. V- I'll throw more cores at it. <laughs> Right. Oh, I've got eight cores currently. I'll give it sixteen. Uh, that doesn't doesn't always help. Doesn't always help. Sometimes <laughs> no. it can really detriment, um, especially if the you know your your hosts are you know fairly loaded up with other workloads. Um, might be a single threaded app. Might be a single threaded yeah. app. Might also be if you've got um, say you've got eight cores, it has to wait for all eight cores to be available. So it can schedule that workload. So you can actually <laughs> degrade right. performance because it has to right. wait for more cores for to more. free up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you can also run into issues with like uh, it not being Numa aware. Now, there's also in vSphere 8, there is improvements there as well. Um, but yeah, so you can actually uh, tweak some of the settings now for the VMs and you can say like, all right, this server has like a really high latency sensitivity. Um 
and you can configure that. And as long as you have the uh, CPU reservation to 100%, um, it will actually keep the uh, the VM kind of allocated to a core and and to a hyperthread as well. Um, right. So it really gets it gets dedicated access in there. So it'd be interesting to benchmark that and see, like you know, if you did do, you know, my my thing about saying like sixteen cores on say like a, an eight core yeah. CPU with with hyperthreading, and see what that performance uh, improvement is like. Does it does it give it exclusivity to that core? It or does. Is it more yep. sort of a priority scheduling thing? Uh, it makes it exclusive. Wow. Okay. Mm. And you can oversubscribe like that. I don't know if you'd be able to oversubscribe it. Right. I'd have to I'd that, have to tweak it. That's syntax error for me. Like, yeah. How would you? <laughs> yeah. If you if you're allocating and say like, yeah, you know, this has to have these hyper threads. Uh, mm. I don't think you'd be able to oversubscribe that. Uh, yeah. No, that wouldn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, and there's also uh, you can uh, tweak the uh, the NUMA configuration as well now, so you can say like, yep, I've got a I've got this server has it's two sockets, two cores per socket, two NUMA nodes, um, and and help make things a bit more aware. So that that's really some some nice little enhancements that are in there now, which is great. Do we know when we're going to see this in GCVE? I'd expect it to be a while off. Um, from what I've seen, so currently, I think in VMware Engine, we're running vSphere 7 Update 2. Um, I would suggest that Update 3 isn't going to be too far off because it's been out for a while. I would expect to not really see uh, vSphere 8 probably for at least 6 to 12 months. But there was a couple of uh, updates for VMware Engine. It's good because there's some public articles that are on the VMware site that sort of talks about a few roadmap items. Mm. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, one of them, which is uh, of keen keen interest for me, is that uh, the VMware Engine APIs and command line stuff is in public preview. So, oh yeah, um, certainly. We've been hanging out for that. Have yes. been. Um, yeah, that's at, at the moment. VMware Engine is heavily click ops driven. Um, obviously, you know, knowing Google, that is not how it was ever destined to be. But um, yeah, it's great seeing the uh, command line stuff coming through. Uh, it's something that I've been playing around with recently. So mm. uh, looking to do a lot more of that. Um, there's also some additional zones which have come in um, in the last six months of VMware Engine. Uh, Apparently, there are actually expected to be additional regions uh, coming online in 2023 in Asia, Europe, and South America. Um, whether or not that'll be you know, like single zones or multiple zone regions. Yep, and we're we're going to get an additional zone here in Sydney, Australia, Southeast One B, as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, lots of uh, lots of updates in the VMware space. Yeah, it's, that's that's a, that's a big area where. Google does seem to have a lot of focus at the moment. Um, and uh, I don't know, I've read a few articles during the week about the Broadcom takeover of VMware. Um, and uh, I don't think it's going as smoothly as they planned. There's, there's a and lot we, of change. Uh, there's a lot of change, but we, you know, hopefully that doesn't impact too much on some of these uh, technical advancements that we're seeing here no. but I, I think i think we may so any reason i mentioned is that i th- i think we may see a bit of uh, a bit of a brain drain from vmware um 
possibly going into Google. I mean, that'd be nice. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, there, there are plenty of ex-VMware people in there currently. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, uh, thanks for that, Dave. Um, heaps, heaps of cool stuff there. We might just move on. And um, speaking of companies in trouble, <laughs> um, <laughs> Google... Oh boy, this one's got to hurt. Yeah. Google loses appeal over illegal Android app bundling. EU reduces the fine, mind you. Well, that's good. See, that's good news. It's good news thing. Reduced to 4.1 billion euros. <laughs> but it's it's reduced. It could have been reduced. more. <laughs> Oh, yeah, so, so the EU money. has upheld a 2018 antitrust cut charge against Google, confirming that the company imposed unlawful restrictions on Android phone manufacturers in order to promote its search engine on mobile devices. This is an article on The Verge. Uh, came out 14th of September. Um, boy, uh, you brought this to my attention, Dave. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. It's actually it was interesting that there was reduced by from four point three down to four point one, and I suppose in the last four years there's been a lot of inflation, so maybe it's a big, well, maybe it's a bigger win. Well, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, it was reduced from four point three billion to four point one billion because the judge that was overseeing it decided that. Uh, you know, entering into a revenue sharing scheme was was not a problem. It wasn't no it, no illegalities about that. Right. Uh, so they removed that part of the fine. <laughs> but two hundred million dollar removal. <laughs> two million euros. Sorry. So let's let's just dive into this a bit. The origin of the 2018 charge against Google found that the company abused its market dominance by forcing Android phone makers to restrict how they sold their devices. Manufacturers had to agree not to sell phones using variant versions of Android, in other words, forks, mm-hmm. right? Not approved by Google, and to pre-install Google Search and Chrome apps alongside the company's app store. I mean, wonder what other company did this with laptops back in the 90s, you know? Sounds very familiar mm, to something else. Yeah, something, mm, yeah. some sort of macro saft. And and Google also paid phone makers and mobile operators to exclusively install Google Search on devices as part of the revenue sharing scheme. So, play devil's advocate a little bit here, and I and, mm. and, and, and I, I do understand where they're coming from, and they don't, like, the EU especially doesn't like uh, any companies sort of strong-arming, and that was you know, yeah. the, or- that, the original Internet Explorer uh, Windows issue. But do you remember how much of a Wild West Android was a decade ago? All right, anyone was putting it on anything. And you got all sorts of, like, really crummy versions and forks, and it was like, here's, like, you know, uh, my dodgy telco version of Android, and, oh, we only give it, like, two months worth of patches, and... Yeah, yeah. So, like... (laughs) So, that that, uh, that idea feeds into the, the next thing here. Google's legal response focused on a number of arguments, including that the commissioner incorrectly judged that the company to be dominant in the mobile market because iOS exists and that his actions were necessary to stop the Android ecosystem fragmenting into many incompatible operating systems. To which the commissioner replies, 
incompatible or not, fostering rival mobile OSs is exactly the desired outcome of a competitive market. Yeah. But it's a pain in the neck. Yeah. <laughs> it's a complete pain in the neck, right? Yeah. Um, I it's- mean, we had... Windows Phone. <laughs> <laughs> we had Windows. Like, <laughs> don't mention it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I can't believe we're going to say this, but look at the, the Linux, the Linux ecosystem, mm-hmm. right? Yep. You have many Linux um, distributions. They're all different. You got different desktops. You got different environments. But somehow they're still all compatible. Compatible-ish. <laughs> uh, yeah, up to a point, right? <laughs> up to a point. Um, I mean, you could argue that Android's Linux. Anyway, it is a Linux kernel, but um, so it fragments. Um, I, oh God, I don't know. I don't know which. I don't know. I don't know which way is better. Do we, do we want a fragmented market where we have the choice, or do we want everything to be focused in one place and make that one thing as as good as it can be? Yeah. Like I mean, I really like now. Okay, mind you, I suppose I've been using Pixel phones now for the last few years, and and I had Nexus phones before that. Like the times when I had other brands of phones, things kind of got a little bit annoying, where they like where right. patches would fall behind and stuff like that. Like that yep. was that was like my biggest bugbear. Um, and they're always putting a skin on them anyway, right? Yeah. So they. They sort of your interaction with it via the skin is is a different experience when you go from one phone to the other. And then I suppose though you also then get that thing where you have like uh, you have an Android phone and it has like Gmail and a whole bunch of other you know obviously Google apps on there. But then you would have like uh, like the Samsung version of those apps and the you start getting a bit of yep. sprawl in there. Yep, and you got the bloatware installed on there. Yeah, as well. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, so anyway, the EU EU doesn't like it. They think it's any competitive. They want it to be as open as possible. Um, now, Google does have one, one more appeal. Um, so that decision came from the EU's second highest court, the general court, meaning that Google can appeal this decision yet again uh, with the bloc's highest country, the Court of Justice. Uh, but they've got to wait two months and ten days before they can make that appeal. So that's even if that court would hear it, I, I suppose they would. It's a pretty big fine. Um, we're talking mm. big bickies. Yeah, I think it would be um, worth their time. Yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll keep it. I mean, that's probably going to be a long time before we actually get the result. They'll, they'll drag it out for as long as they can. But yeah, geez, that's got to that's got to hurt. Four point one billion euros. Mm-hmm. All right. Well. Um, yeah, let's let's just move away from that a little bit. Look, <laughs> on let's that look cheery at note. Uh, on that cheery note. Yeah, let's look at some areas where Google has spent some money that's been worthwhile. They've got a couple of new features. Um, and this is around storage. Um, I uh, when I first looked at this, it was the backup stuff that drew my attention. But but you, but you liked uh, the hyperdisk stuff. So 
Um, yeah, I mean, also, I just love that it's called Hyperdisc! <laughs> Hyperdisc! Yeah. Um, we're evolving storage in the cloud to meet your challenging needs. Today's digital customer event, a spotlight on storage. We announced a number of storage innovations. Here are a few that highlights uh, our commitment to you, right? Uh, advancing our enterprise readiness, we announced Google Cloud Hyperdisc. Hyperdisc. Hyperdisc, the next generation of persistent disk, bringing you the ability to easily and dynamically tune the performance of your block storage to your workload. Mm. With Hyperdisc, you can provision IOPS and throughput independently for applications and adapt to the changing application performance needs over time. Just great. Um, actually, I wonder then if you could, so- say, schedule like changing your uh, your IOPS, like for example, maybe you, I, I've got a batch job that runs on a Friday night and I need as much IOPS as possible, but as soon as that's done, archive. <laughs> you tune it, tune it back yeah. down. Yeah, right, yeah. And I wonder if, I wonder if they're making any change to the IOPS uh, regionally, because at the moment you only get high IOPS zonally. Um, if uh, I don't think this article dives into it that much, but uh, that'd be nice if you could. Ch- I mean, obviously, there's going to be there will be restrictions when mm. you're doing it regionally, right? Because you've got you've got inter inter region um, inter inter zonal connections. But uh, that'd be nice to be able to tune that as well. But but yeah, that'd be a perfect use case, right? So you do your batch job, you tune it up, you bring it back down. Yep. Overnight. Yep. So uh, definitely keeping an eye out for that. It would be. Can already uh, already imagining use cases for hyperdisk. Hyperdisk. Yeah. Or, or what about linking the IOPS to your database throughput, right? So the more the more queries that occur to your database, you have a metric link there that tunes your IOPS up. Oh, right. So if you're like- As your queries go up we're and then br- you tune it down. breaching our SLO. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so- uh, Put your IOPS back up on your- Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So that's pretty cool with Hyperdisk. Uh, we also launched uh, FileStore Enterprise Multi-Share for Google, Google Kubernetes Engine. Uh, enables administrators to seamlessly create a FileStore instance and carve out portions of the storage to be used simultaneously across one or thousands of GKE clusters. Nice. Um, and it gives you uh, 99.99% regional storage availability. Uh, and they they can combine that with backup for GKE. Now, backup was another another cool thing. We'll get on the back in a minute, but uh, they've they've brought in another storage class, and we both like this called uh, cloud storage auto class. storage class called auto class. What's auto class do for us, Dave? Right, so it will automatically move objects based on their last access time by policy. So to If only I could have given that answer in the in the PCA test, I wouldn't have to know this cold line near yeah, line like, archive. Oh, we're business. doing this or which one's the most appropriate, how many times? Just and then you have to do the math class. like work out like oh, how often can they recover and oh, yeah, oh, no, that 90 days versus yeah. six weeks. Oh, no, okay, that one's gonna have to go on near line and uh, but no auto class and it will move things for you and it can bring it back yes. up to warmer storage if it makes sense as well. So yes, good. and it does it based on the last access time. That's awesome. So, yeah. No, I, th- I think that that's just a, that's a game changer having that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. Um, I mean, it's just put everything in auto class now, right? Almost, yeah. it's, and it'll just cycle it down. Yeah. Um, and then the last sort of thing that they announced was Google Cloud Backup and DR. Yes. Now this would be this would be an evolution of Actifio Go. 
I believe. Right, because that's what I was trying to. I was trying to place it. Like, well, how does it fit into that? Yeah. So, um, you know, they've been working on integrating Activio Go for a while. It was always planned to to come in as a real like you know first class citizen. And I think this is this is now crossing. It's getting the uh, the stack driver treatment. <laughs> Anyway, Google Cloud Backup and DR, enabling centralized backup management directly from the Google Cloud console. Um, it gives you a nice single pane of glass for all your backup jobs. And it gives you a feature called incremental forever. So you do your initial backup, and then from that point on, you're only sending the deltas. Fantastic if you're going on-prem. You want to back up because it works with on-prem as well. Imagine there's just an agent or it might work with the existing uh, Google agent. Uh, it And you, you just do your initial backup and just dribble the deltas through. Yep. Deltas forever. Mm. I might even think of backing up our machines here at home. Push them up there. Because I've been thinking about that. Yep. <laughs> um, integrates with, uh, as we said, Operations just as appears in another thing there, and uh, I'll link in the show notes to the the article here. You get a nice dashboard, and you can see uh, the status of your uh, backups, um, when the next ones are going to run, any errors or warnings that have occurred, uh, the number of numbers it gives you all the metrics and everything. Yeah, really looking forward to play playing with this, and I can tell you. Um, the amount of times and hours I've spent with backups, tape backups, uh, TARS, pushing this backup to there, moving that backup to everywhere, and they're all different, and you've got to document everything, how it's going to work and how you're going to restore it. Well, to have a single thing that just does it all for you and everyone knows how it works is oh, fantastic. Yeah, and it's something that comes up all the time with, um, uh you know, when we're doing cloud migrations, right? You're getting yeah. off-prem, you go, okay, well, we can move the compute here. Oh, wait, we've also got to deal with our backups. We've got all these backup appliances on-prem. What are we going to do? We need a solution for this now. No more. No more. Just use this. Yep. Ah, yeah, I, just, I was trying to see where it's available. And currently on the backup and DR service site, it says coming late September 2022. So, uh <laughs> Being that we're only in mid-September, I think we've got another week or two. Another week or two before we actually see it. Yeah. All right. Definitely be playing with that, though. For sure. All right, let's move on. Um, the Australian government, in their infinite wisdom, uh, wants to mess with data, data localization in the cloud. Uh, and all the hyperscalers in, and Meta are opposing this. Um AWS, Microsoft, Google Cloud, Meta, all opposed data localization for Australia. This is an, um, an article on IT News. I'll link in the show notes. Uh, but the, the, the idea is around data sovereignty, um, and they, they are proposing, I honestly don't know where we're at um, in, in terms of the, the proposition, that personally identified information not be shared across borders. And be kept within Australia, which, when like at first glance, you're like, oh, "Okay, yeah, that's fine." But that's then, a great idea. But, at first glance, yeah. but then you think about but, it. <laughs> <laughs> you just think a little bit about it. You think about it, and you go, "Well, that's not such a great idea." And it actually will could potentially cause more restrictions and more problems than than and 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 be less secure. Yeah, in the long run. Yep. Right. 
Uh, so Amazon Web Services, Microsoft, Google Cloud, and Meta are among the top cloud providers and data repositories to warn the federal government against initiating data localization requirements. Many countries have data localization laws in place, while others are adopting legislation, often to stop insecure transfer of personally identified information across borders. Now, I can get on board with that line, that specific line of stopping insecure transfer of personal information. I'm okay with that. But I don't think saying like, well, the data has to live here because- you know, we're we're in a we're in a global world. You build out uh, yeah. you know, anything on any of the cloud providers, you might need services that aren't regional in in nature. They might be a global service. Yeah. So data stored in a data center, in a Google data center, for instance. Let's just. I mean, it doesn't matter who we're talking about here, but those data centers are effectively cookie cutter, right? Uh, there might be some services available, newer services that are available in one probably in the US before they're available here, but effectively they're the same thing. It's got the same security protocols, they've got the same, they're using the same encryption algorithms, they you know, the guys, the security guys are looking after it, they know that stuff way more than anyone else, you know, any mm-hmm. government or any, you know, t- yeah, t- um, two-bit you know, organisation would know. Some, some tin pot little MSP got like... Yeah, that's right. Know, their first <laughs> level support guy is also their security engineer. Yeah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> right? So you put your data in that data centre, doesn't matter where it is. It ain't going anywhere. Right? That's the idea. It, it really doesn't matter. Now, if you, if you think about it a little bit further, um, for us here in Australia... What if we were in a situation where some new security feature had been launched, it was only available in the US, not available in Australia, all our data was in Australia because of some draconian law, and then that data was breached because we weren't able to put it in the more highly secure environment. Yeah, exactly. You know, that, is a, that is a real possibility. Yep. You're holding us back from being able to do these things because- is it, you know, would it settle into to being just like it's where the data goes at rest or it can't even transit through, uh, you know, a global service? And there's there's actually, there's a good note in here actually um, where I think it's Microsoft uh, sort of came back in their response saying that like the locality of where the data is stored, while it is like a reasonable architectural decision, like you're thinking about, where should the data be stored in relation to your customers for like latency, but it's not a security control. <laughs> Just what tin it's physically sitting on doesn't make it any more or less secure. Correct. Correct. What you, you, you may put the data in a certain region, as you say, because it's, um, uh, you know, because of latency or because of some other architectural requirement, like, you know, dedicated link or something like that, dedicated interconnect. But yeah, it makes zero difference on the, uh, in in terms of the security. Yeah. It's um, like if you've got your data sitting in uh I don't know, Spanner, for example, right? <laughs> All my data mm. Spanner instances, it's obviously that's being stored in tin somewhere in the world. Um if someone goes and, and rips a disk out of <laughs> a box that's got that data, like it's encrypted at rest. It's 
it's of no use to anyone. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it's it's fragmented across multiple disks, so it's it's not going to be complete data anyway, mm-hmm. and it's fragmented across multiple sites. Um, you know, I, I just it really concerns me that we have lawmakers that are even proposing things like this. It's clear that they don't understand. Yeah, so interesting article, and I, I was pulling my hair out and you know, bashing my head against the wall reading it, going, no, don't do this, why? You know, it sums it up well. This is an area that is largely still misunderstood in the market and misconceptions regarding threats such as insider threat or law enforcement access requests still exist. So, uh, yeah, this is this is modernisation, right? Like, we, we don't store data in unencrypted text files on a single disk. That's not how it works anymore. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, there'll be plenty of that all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> but the hyperscalers aren't doing it. No, the hyperscalers, we have, uh, well, no, they aren't doing it. Um, but, um, yeah, so someone needs to be taken and, and given a good explanation of this. And I think Microsoft has actually put their hand up. Yeah, in this article it says Microsoft offered to brief Australian government officials on the matter. And of course, while they're there, they'll probably say something along the lines of, if you, if you use Azure, <laughs> then. <laughs> anyway, I'll link that in the show notes. Um, let's hope we don't end up going down that path. Oh, and the other good point they point out as well is, you know, this. Uh, this this concept of keeping data onshore is quite often used in personal surveillance. Um, countries like India, Vietnam, Turkey, and China, um, they they will do it with the intention of facilitating surveillance on their on their citizens. Um, now, I like to think Australia we're a free society. That's not going to come to that, and that's that's not what the intention is. But uh, you know. It, could be a slippery slope. Yeah, it's not a it's not a good approach. No, let's hope it doesn't come to that. No. All right, we'll keep an eye on that and keep you across it. Uh, all right, let's move on. Talking about security, we've got a couple of security items here. Um, Mandian. Mandian, this is big news as well. Did it happen? I mean, there's so many big news items. We, we I couldn't. We, we've only got one top of the show, right? <laughs> you can only put one item at the top of the show. Uh, Mandian has happened. Google now officially owns Mandian. Um, Google completed its acquisition of Mandian, uh, bringing a major name in cybersecurity under the tech giant, ever-growing umbrella. There was a court case. A um, what was a court? Yeah, I think it was a court case, and. Uh, they had to prove it had to be signed off and ratified, and it's been done. Uh, 5.4 billion. There's some big numbers today on today's <laughs> show. Billion dollar acquisition announced in March was completed on Monday. I mean, it's it's according to a yeah, Google press release. It's the same as just a, a fine, right? That's right. Ah, just just a cool a cool five billion. Yes. Yeah, could, we can we can pay a fine, or we can buy Mandiant. By Mandiant, yeah. Mandiant will keep its own brand while operating under the Google Cloud branch of its new parent company. Uh, of course, Mandiant was best known for uncovering the SolarWinds hack um, a few years ago now. Um, and, uh, I mean, yeah, Microsoft is also rumored they, they were considering it. I think we mentioned at the time when we, we talked about this, uh, but they got beat to the punch by Google. And now it's all official. 
be great seeing uh, more of the Mandiant expertise be rolled into the Google service offering. Like, such a huge play in security now. You know, we went through like Chronicle last fortnight, and this is only going to help strengthen that. Yeah. In a blog post, Google Cloud CEO Thomas Curian highlighted Mandiant's threat intelligence expertise and said that Google intends to combine that with its enormous data processing and machine learning capabilities to protect customer from cyber threats. Ooh, I'm actually I'm actually sort of quietly excited about this to see what see what's going to come out. I mean, the AI and the auto processing of uh, you know threat detection. I mean, it could be fantastic, really. Yeah. And making that available for everyone. Mm, mm. Yeah, so keep an eye on that. I'd imagine in the next 12 months or so, we'll start to see a bunch of uh, new security features come through. Yeah, I mean, we've been tracking that acquisition for probably six months now. That's right. So um, uh, it's great to see that get across the line. And in other security news, uh, there's yet another Chrome Zero Day. Kind of getting a bit boring, isn't it? <laughs> this is really a, a standing topic in our uh, thing. Just right at the top of the show, just update your Chrome. All right, Chrome. <laughs> stop. Pause the podcast. Update your Chrome. Come back. Off we go. Actually, actually, I was on a Google Meet today, and someone shared this screen. And I saw that they needed to update their Chrome. I nearly said something. <laughs> <laughs> it probably should have. Uh, mine's uh, got the little yellow light. So I, I after this, I think I will do it. Yeah, update, update. Google has released a security update for Chrome browser. This this was on the um, this is on the fifth of September. Um, so if you've got that update light there, you better do it because <laughs> this is a serious one uh, across all platforms: Mac, Linux, and Windows. Um, a new zero day that is being actively exploited. Uh, the release uh, CVE 2022-307 relating to insufficient data validation in Mojo, a collection of runtime libraries used in Chromium, which powers much of the code behind Google Chrome. Uh, so it sounds like it's deeply rooted. I didn't go in and look at the details of the CVE, but um, all, all we're saying is just putting it out there to you, everyone. Make sure you've got that update because it sounds like it's pretty deep. Mm. Google actually hasn't provided exact details um, around what it is. Um, they just push the fix out. But uh, yeah, get it updated. <laughs> General rule. That's it. Keep an eye General out. rule. Get it updated. And look, we'll finish on the last fun one here. Um, this uh, <laughs> NF. What's the go with NFTs? <laughs> what's the go? <laughs> <laughs> Google Cloud Neural Networks creates 10,000 works of art using only the Board 8 Yacht Club NFT. Yeah, and then they made their own <laughs> NFTs. <laughs> then they made their own <laughs> NFT. So they apparently they put in something like 10,000 pictures of apes uh, <laughs> into an AI um, and then and then they they used a bunch of other uh, images and then created uh, kind of like oil painting looking versions, like oil them. paintings, yeah. And a collection of ten thousand portraits of painterly apes took several machines weeks of processing powers to compute. And then they started selling them. They sold four hundred, and then they they knew they got a bit of traction, and then they made it. Uh, open slather to the rest of the public and sold the other 10,000 in minutes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just don't get it. NFTs. Anyway, you go to the site, 
it's this uh, uh, 10,000 artsy monkey collection. And I'll, I'll put the link to the article in the session. Artsy monkey, right? I mean, some of the images are very good. Right? Yeah, but I, I, uh, I, I. Why do I need to own it? I can. <laughs> I, you get the four K. You get the four K version and print it out when you own it. So you know <laughs> the old. So now, look. If I go here, check this yeah. out. Price highest to low. Yeah. Now they're selling these in Ethereum, right? The highest is sixty nine thousand four hundred twenty Ethereum. Yes, sixty nine four twenty. Right. <laughs> sixty nine four twenty. Right. <laughs> That currently equates to $11 million. No, $111 million. $111, sorry. <laughs> oh, boy, just extra order of magnitude uh, there. $111 million. Now, come on. Come on. I mean, that, that's not even one of the good ones, I don't think. Um, has it got a history on, like, sold ones? Because obviously, like, someone putting up with a, an asking price of, of that, like- Yeah. Um, recently, okay, like, recently, recently sold. Here sold. we go, recently. Recently sold. Right, so they're, they're selling for a fraction. Yeah. Right. This one here, for instance, um, which I don't know what that looks like. It looks like, uh, looks like a dragon with a mustic hanging out of its <laughs> mouth. Uh, <laughs> 0.075. Yeah, click on that. Get that conversion into Aussie. Uh, click on that. Yeah. Uh, 120. 120. Yeah. I think that'd be US. That'd be US dollars. Oh, okay. Fine. But still, <laughs> um, you know, we're fooling their money, right? Yeah, that's it. Um, and we can see who who bought and sold it. So, I mean, it just goes to show if, uh, you know, if we thought of this, Dave, we, we could be selling 10,000 monkey artworks now and making some real <laughs> Ethereum. And we'd have some, then we'd have some to stake. Yeah, that, <laughs> we could make more out of it. <laughs> we could run a validation node. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Holders have continued to trade the art pieces on NFT marketplace OpenSea uh, ever since with over 200 Ethereum of sales volume generated uh, in secondly sales alone. Yeah, right. So if you had, yeah, so they, they, are, they are trading. Boasting a 4K resolution print ready version available only to owners. The quick. The collection has quickly evolved to be much more than just fine art. All right, well, uh, we'll just finish on that fun one there. I mean, NFTs, I don't think I'll ever understand them. I'm a boomer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I, it's not a craze I got into. <laughs> no, no, all right, we'll leave it there. Look, uh, go on to iTunes, write us a review. That will really help the show. And, of course, you can contact the show, gcplife at casson.com.au. We've got the Twitter there, at gcplife. There's a website, just Google that. Uh, and of course, today's sponsor is Kazna. At Kazna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. Uh, it's been a bumper show. I think we've talked well. I mean, that's well over an hour now. And uh, look, it's been fun today. You, today, Dave, you got anything else? No, I think I'm, uh, I'm all done. I think I need a, a cup of tea and uh, I'm going to wind down to the afternoon. <laughs> that's it. All right. Well, that's about it for us for two weeks. We will catch you later. Bye. Right, catch you. Bye.
we take a look at what's new in V. We take. 